Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. There is a dangerous movement among evangelical Christians called hashtag leave loud. It encourages black evangelical Christians to leave white evangelical spaces. The idea is to not be silent about discontent with the church, but to express your exodus loudly. We've seen that recently even among other prominent evangelicals that aren't necessarily part of this specific movement, but they leave the church very vocally, citing finding their true self or some other theory. When evaluating movements, positions, and thinking within the church, we need to always view ideas in light of scripture and truth. What does God himself through his word say? When it comes to the church, the truth is that the church is a God-ordained and established institution. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not men. So we always have to compare our thoughts, teaching, and theology to the word of God and align our thinking with truth. The idea of teaching secular theology within the context of God's church is an oxymoron because that very word theology means the study of the true God. Secularism, by definition, is a philosophy that has no spiritual or religious foundation, literally removing any grounding in the truth or the study of God. So if we begin with these two premises, first, that the church is God-ordained, and second, that because of that origination, God himself is the head of the church, then we can rationally expect that the orthodoxy and practices of the church must be consistent with what our God requires. Now, if you're not a Christian, that is, you have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that God raised him from the dead, then you are by definition outside of the church. And what God requires from you is to come into a saving knowledge of him and become part of his church. Every person must answer the question for himself or herself, what do you believe about the truth of God? Who do you say Jesus is? For those of us who are Christians, we have recognized the identity of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the truth of his bodily death and resurrection as a literal historical event. Now it is our responsibility to grow in the knowledge of theology, literally the study of who God is. So when we start with this foundation of Christianity, the church is then wholly and irrevocably specifically intended for the Christian. What pastors teach, what Christians proclaim and practice, what we disclaim, our doctrines and practices must be consistent with the head of the church, God himself. This is our standard, and we have to critically evaluate any new movement, idea, or practice in the context of the truth of God. This is discernment. We can't embrace every new thought and idea based on culture, emotion, political pressure, or any other reason. 
we must specifically reject ideas that are inconsistent with the character and the nature of the true God. This is rational faith. Just like science tests new theories and ideas and methods against known facts and empirical evidence, we as Christians must likewise test every idea and thought against the knowledge we already have of God as he revealed himself in scripture and in the natural world, self-evident truth. So tonight, we're going to be evaluating a couple of ideas, activist theology, and we'll define that, and critical race theory. These are, are these ideas consistent or inconsistent with theology, our knowledge of the true God. Joining me now to discuss are my friends and the co-hosts of the Just Thinking podcast, Virgil Locker and Daryl Harrison. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me tonight on Just the Truth. Hey, thanks for having us, Jenna. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. So uh, let's start big picture. So uh, Virgil, to you first, uh, this idea of the church and defining the church, uh, we can define that with the capital C church and kind of the small case, lower letter C. What's the difference there? I think, I think the, the, the important difference is understanding whose church it actually is. Uh, we have to actually start there with the fact that, that Christ came uh, to secure for himself a bride, which is the church. Uh, that's the, the universal church. That's the capital C church. Now, we recognize that as a part of the body of Christ, uh, we have churches, local churches uh, all over the place here in the United States and, and around the world. And they function, uh, it should, they should function uh, in like mind and manner according to what scripture actually dictates. I thought your, your opening monologue was, was tremendous because what it causes us to do is to think through from a logical standpoint, what we're seeing when these movements come about. Uh, are they functioning in the way that Christ would have us to function as the capital C church, the universal church, right? Or is this, is this some kind of new movement, new angle, new way by which uh, local bodies, local entities, and particularly uh, groups and individuals who have separated themselves from the larger body of Christ uh, to, to begin new movements, to begin new ideas. We, get, we have to examine what they're doing and what they're saying against the backdrop of what scripture actually has to say. Absolutely. And Daryl, just to get you in here real quickly before we have to go to break. Um, so why is this type of discernment so important when we see from a lot of the, uh, the woke liberal leftist types of Christians that just say, well, we need to just love everyone and tolerate everything? Yeah, I think that the answer to that question ties into what both you said in your open, Jenna, and what Virgil just articulated. It begins with understanding that th there is a God who exists, okay? There is a God who exists, and that every person who has ever lived is accountable uh, to that God for, first of all, believing in him or not. And then uh, along the same lines, whether we believe in, in him or not, how we comport ourselves in this world. So when you look at the shortcomings of activist theology, it doesn't take into account that accountability to God. It really is sort of a, a myopic, uh, present-day, uh, temporal uh, worldview uh, from a theological standpoint that falls well short of the eternal perspective that the God of the Christian faith anyway requires us to adopt and to believe. Yeah, and this is so important, and we're going to uh, take a break here and come back and talk more about the definition of activist theology and also critical race theory when we come back with Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, hosts of the Just Thinking podcast here on Just the Truth. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Just the Truth, where we're continuing the conversation about discernment and what theology, orthodoxy, and practices of doctrine uh, need to be in the church and what we need to specifically reject and exclude as inconsistent with biblical truth because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so joining me for this conversation are Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. They're the co-hosts of the amazing, amazing Just Thinking podcast. If you're not listening to these guys, you absolutely should be. They do the deep dive conversations. Uh, you guys, I just love your podcast so much. And I want to highlight right here too, you have a book that's coming out that's called uh, Just Thinking About the State. I am really excited uh, for this book and you can pre-order this. Uh, so just go to their website and that'll direct you uh, to where you can pre-order this book and um, everything that we're talking about in civics, in uh, the state's control, uh, interaction with the church, all of this, I cannot wait to deep dive into that. And uh, we're talking though today about uh, activist theology. So when we have discernment on this particular idea, uh, Virgil, how do people understand what we mean by activist theology? Daryl and I began examining, looking at, and kind of working out. And, and again, the, the our podcast, the uh, most recent episode is titled Activist Theology. What what we what we're seeing, and it's it's not uncommon. I mean, it's it's something that we're seeing, unfortunately, more and more often, which is we're we're watching culture, co church culture in particular, co-opt the gospel, and what's happening is everything has now become a gospel issue. Uh, 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 civil rights is a gospel issue. Uh, her, feeding the hungry—that's a gospel issue. Racial reconciliation—that's a gospel issue. And what begins to happen is everyone's particular issue comes to the fore, and what's left behind is the gospel. You're seeing the same kind of thing with with the word justice being used. How justice is being attached to everything. There's reproductive justice. There's social justice. And so if anybody wants you to think about uh, an issue that they deem important, they attach the word justice to it. Well, in the church, what we're seeing happening is every idea or, or activist motivation that is happening in the church, we're seeing the word gospel issue attached to it. And so what this really boils down to is we've, we've neglected really what is the gospel. Uh, if we understand the gospel, we understand that, that, that Christ is central to the gospel and his message regarding repentance, uh, placing faith in him for the purpose of obtaining uh, uh, forgiveness of sins and, and, and apprehending eternal life is really what the gospel is all about. But, but what we've done is we've, we've watched church culture in particular begin to abandon that particular message and to embrace what we're hearing in culture. And so those issues come to the fore while, while the word gospel is attached to it. And, and what we're seeing, again, we, we began to look at that, examine that, and begin to, uh, begin to identify that as more of activist theology. 
Hmm. And so, Daryl, I mean, this seems then to uh, to have multifold problems because one, then you're adding to the essential nature of the gospel, and so then we're also uh, opening up to kind of a wider tent of saying if you don't believe in, for example, all of these justice issues like racial justice, however they define it, uh, activist theology is a big banner, then somehow you're not behaving Christ-like. And that's, that's what I see a lot of people charging uh, individual Christians with. Yeah, so what activist theology does, Jenna, it reduces the true message of the gospel to mere moralism. That's, that's basically what, that, that's, that's the key deficiency within activist theology, because when you look at uh, what activist theology is by definition, which is essentially works righteousness, activist theology argues that as Christians, we should get involved in, uh, at, at a worldly temporal level to bring about sort of the fruits of heaven, the fruits of a biblical orthodox gospel by engaging with the world and by the world i mean that those, those uh entities and institutions uh and systems that are outside of the church to make the world more like the church um and if we know anything about the gospel that's not going to happen uh, uh, that is not the reason for the gospel that is not the reason for the church but when you look at what activist theology does it reduces a message the, the core message of the gospel which the apostle paul says in first timothy that Christ came into the world to save sinners. You see, so, so but an activist theology says, well, well, Christ came into the world to show us a good moral model, a okay. good moral model of how to behave towards one another. But the gospel is fundamentally and inherently a gospel message of forgiveness of sins. We are sinners. We, we, we are conceived as enemies of God, and it is only through faith in Christ that we can be made right with that holy God and have our sins forgiven. But uh, activist theology says, no, there's another way. There's another way that that salvation becomes fully orbed within the present day world. It's, it's a temporal message. It is not a message that takes us from this world into the next, which is what the biblical gospel does. Activist theology says, no, we have to get uh, involved with the problems of the world to bring about justice, fairness, equity, equality, and we have to do that by protesting, by demonstrating, by remonstrating, so as to bring about this sort of temporal salvation, which is totally antithetical to what the biblical gospel teaches. Yeah, and Virgil, it seems like um, from what Daryl is describing that this type of activism then has pastors of these churches have a more of a fiduciary duty, if you want to you know, put it in legal terms, to these types of activist movements and these other causes rather than the primary duty of pastors in the church to be for the presentation of the gospel and to fulfill the Great Commission. It seems like a conflict of interest to me. At, at not not only a conflict of interest, it's it's antithetical to the message of Christ Himself. It, it is the complete opposite. We we've said often on our show, uh, what activist theologians desire to do is to see transformation from the outside in, and and what the gospel actually does is it transforms hearts from the inside out. And so what we're what we're witnessing is uh, congregants are coming into the church and now are dictating how pastors are supposed to operate in an effort to bring heaven 
on earth. That is their that is the mindset. It's it's this it's this idea. It's this utopian idea that we're seeing happening in 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 church culture. Um, and 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 what 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 oftentimes is is happening as a result are our pastors don't know exactly what to do. Some of them are unsure, don't understand the terminology of of of, of critical race theory, of of wokeism, and what they're seeing in, in society and culture. And because they haven't steeped themselves theologically in the truths of the gospel, uh, they they're they're tossed to and fro when these when these congregates come in demanding uh, that that they be that their issue, their particular pet issue, be heard. Mm -hmm. And so, so Daryl, I can imagine, you know, the people who are watching this program are saying, okay, you know, I, I kind of get that um, in terms of how activism isn't necessarily the primary obligation, but, you know, how bad is humanitarianism? What about love? How are these things actually inconsistent with the gospel? I may agree with you about not adding on, but what's the harm here? Well, that's a trick question because what you're looking at when someone asks that question, what they don't understand is that the gospel already inherently has intrinsic to its message all of those things. Okay, so the gospel already tells us, though, as a result of our faith in Christ, we are to uh, feed the hungry, help the sick, clothe the naked, care for widows, all of those things. But to see, the distinction here is this, is that the gospel teaches us clearly that those works are not salvific in and of themselves. The gospel teaches us that we are to do works in keeping with repentance, repentance. Okay, so the, the works flow out of our faith, all right? But activist theology says, uh, well, let's focus on the works and that these works will bring about this new society, this heaven on earth, uh, so to speak, that Virgil uh, spoke of a second ago. That's the distinct difference. And, and again, activist theology says, well, we're broken. Society is broken. Society is... Uh, is, is not as uh, healthy uh, as it should be. We're, we're all broken. We're, we're all bad people. No, nobody's perfect. But see, the, the Orthodox biblical gospel goes further than that. It says, no, you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul says that in Ephesians 2. We cannot remedy our deadness. We cannot remedy our spiritual deadness simply by works. The, the scriptures are clear. Our works on our best days are only as filthy rags. The scripture descri describes it. So we need salvation, not just behavior modification. And that is the fundamental distinction between the biblical Orthodox gospel and an activist gospel that emphasize works simply for the sake of works. Yeah, and, and Virgil, this is what I see a lot of pastors and mega churches doing is that they've become uh, basically glorified TED Talks or they've become these sort of self-help life coaches and their message is not primarily driven to exclusively Christians. So they're trying to reach such a broad audience that they're saying, you know, here's, here's the, uh, as Daryl was just saying, the works based that we want to apply to everyone in society rather than starting with the premise that, as I just said in, in, in the opening, church is specifically for Christians. And if you're not a Christian, the primary focus is to get you to be a part of the church through salvation in Christ alone. Jen, I think what you just said was 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 spot on. I, what we're what we're seeing played out. I think I think this is what we're seeing as as we're witnessing woke culture, as we're witnessing activist theology. What 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 we're seeing is the fruit. Of, of the pragmatism and the pragmatic approach that has been a part of church culture for the last you know, 30, 40 years. 
um, the, the idea that the seeker sensitive, seeker friendly aspect of how can we how can we formulate or conform our church in a way that that embraces uh, the, the, the largest number of people. The problem is what when you begin doing that, uh, you have to continue doing whatever you've attracted them with. So if you've attracted them with things that aren't biblical, uh, that are that are glorified TED talks, you're going to have to you're going to have to up your game every Sunday in order to keep the masses coming, rather than having anchored what you do, uh, the way in which church operates in in the in the foundation of Scripture uh, and a scriptural approach. The, the Scripture is clear. Ephesians two tells us we are His workmanship uh, in Christ Jesus, created for good works that God prepared for us in advance to do. We all of the works based ideas that people are coming with, those will be worked out in light of the foundational yes. truth of the gospel, not the other way around. Absolutely. And this is such good stuff. And we will be right back with more here on Just the Truth. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Continuing the conversation with my good friends Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, who are the co-hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. And gentlemen, we're talking um, about this really in conflict, uh, mission-oriented uh, viewpoint of pastors. And Daryl, uh, this raises the question then, are pastors derelicting their duty as shepherds of the church? And are they now stepping outside of what the biblical command is by having uh, these types of TED Talks and this type of activist theology? And how do they come back to uh, the actual duty of what a pastor is required? Yeah, let me take your questions in reverse, Jenna. I think they come back to their pastoral duty by reminding themselves whose gospel this is. Okay, so I think pastors are making a huge mistake by taking possession of the gospel from God. And they do this by, number one, personalizing the pulpit, meaning the, uh, taking the attitude that the pulpit belongs to them just because they happen to have their name on the, on the marquee in front of the church as the pastor of the church. They go several steps further than that. So they, so they, they, they personalize the pulpit. And when you personalize the pulpit, you personalize the gospel, meaning you make the gospel your own. You rob God of his gospel. You rob God of his truth. You rob God of the entire idea of salvation, which is God's idea. It's not man's idea. You said this in the open. Um, you, listen, this is no different. What we're facing right now today in the church is no different than what Jesus fa faced when he was walking this earth. There were people, in Jews especially in Jesus' time, who wanted Jesus to be an activist Christ. They wanted an activist Christ. They wanted a Christ who would overthrow the Roman system of government, free the Jews of their oppression, of, of their oppression under the Roman system, uh, and they killed Jesus for that. They killed him for that, and, and, and it's no different today. We want the church to be some sort of uh, uh, extension of the NAACP. We want the church to be some sort of uh, ecclesiastical uh, platform for achieving evangelical affirmative action. Uh, that's not the church. That's not the role of the church. In Acts chapter 2, 
uh, we see that the role of the church is for believers to get together, to commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to pray, to uh, uh, break bread together, and to fellowship, participate in the Lord's table and, and fellowship. That is essentially the only uh, responsibility that the church has in this world outside of preaching the gospel of salvation from sin. Yeah, and you said two key words there, Daryl, which is his truth. And I yes. think that's exactly the crux of the issue is that our culture is so focused on my truth and expressing wow. myself and my viewpoints mm -hmm. that pastors have by and large and, and individual Christians as well. I mean, this isn't just the leadership of the church, but this is also Christians who have not been shepherded well to mm -hmm. say, I'm here to promote my truth. And sure, the gospel and the identity of a Christian is uh, is something I'll add on to that. But it's right. like, you know, adding on my my hair and makeup, my, uh, my, my clothes, my preference selections and different things that express who I am. Being a Christian mm -hmm. then just becomes another label of self-expression right. rather right. than saying this is a, a, an understanding that I am recognizing truth and this is just a reflection. So, so Virgil, I mean, for, for the pastors who want to, um, to understand this duty and this mission, I think it's so incredibly critical. Um, where is, what would you say to them where they're in the middle of maybe saying, you know, yeah, let's teach white privilege, uh, you know, that, that book, let's teach the BLM activism, let's do all of these other things. How do they reverse this, uh, this systemic activist theology in megachurches? Yeah, well, I, I think you ask a great question. It's important to remember the, the words of, of Christ. Uh, when, when he said, if you desired it to come after him, you must deny yourself. Uh, take up your cross and follow him. Uh, I mean, that that should be sufficient. Again, I, I love what Daryl said about being being a, reminding uh, every one of us, pastors, uh, parishioners, uh, those those who desire to 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 be disciples of Christ. We must be reminded weekly. That's why, one of the reasons why we attend churches so that we can hear the gospel preached, not to not to lost sinners, but to ourselves. So that we can be reminded of our need for to, to, to realign our lives with the message of the gospel, the message of Christ and him crucified, our need to to repent of our sin, place our full faith in Christ. And, and we, we've got to we have to do that. I think that's that's an imperative. I, I think the other thing that 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 people are embracing is the, I talked about the pragmatism of the culture uh, that has invaded the church. Uh, Daryl mentioned the idea that these pastors are beginning to think that it's their pulpit, it's their church. We, we have run amok with 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 meism in culture, right? We, we've run amok with, with, a, with a narcissistic, uh, a, a, you know, Facebook enterprise, so to speak, making sure that, that we get our own selfies. We're, we're really engaged in, in church culture for the purpose of our own spiritual selfie, so to speak. We, we, we don't want to examine our lives against the backdrop of the pages of scripture. We want to examine our lives against the backdrop of, of a selfie where we just kind of put on a filter, which, which we'll call Christianity, and then, and then present that to the world as if this is the standard by which everyone must live. And, and that, that's false religion is what it is. Right. And it seems like we're so in 
in this age of social media and this age of you know everything is branded and marketed and labeled it seems like the church you know with if you have the little uh, the church tm or church inc it seems like pastors are so focused on the branding and marketing instead of just teaching truth and recognizing there is and always will be a difference between the church and the world we're not trying to daryl um you know have a have a Christian theocracy in the sense that the church becomes the world and dictates to the state. That's a valid separation of the roles of church and state. That is in a hijacked term, but we would absolutely affirm that the Bible teaches there are different roles within the institutions of the government and civil society and the church and the individual. And so, you know, as we're, as we're thinking about rebranding the church, maybe, um, you know, wh- what are just the essentials that you see of what a church's obligation, um, and you talked about this a little bit, the role of the church, but um, for pastors to think, okay, what is what should their brand look like if they're truly representing Jesus Christ, not themselves? Yeah, Jen, it's interesting. I think you answered your own question right there at the end. I think church pastors who want to brand themselves, so to speak, they do that by imitating Jesus Christ. Okay, you do that by essentially replicating the God, the same message that Jesus preached. That's how you brand yourself. You brand yourself so that when people look at you, pastor, and they hear you, they don't even see you. They don't hear you. They hear Jesus. They see Jesus. So that's that's how you should brand yourself if you're a pastor. You should brand yourself after Jesus Christ. You, and the role of the church, listen, here's, here's, here's the problem that activist theology presents. The activist theology presents the pastor, the elders, the deacons, even the congregations as their own saviors so that we can go out and do the job that apparently, according to activist theology, Christ was deficient in achieving, in accomplishing. So again, it's it's this sort of uh, misnomer that in order to uh, be fully experienced or to fully experience and fully uh, validate the salvation which Christ uh, alone brings, we need to get out here in the world and do like Christ did uh, and turn over some tables. Uh, we, we, we need to do that. So that, that, that passage in Matthew 21 where Jesus drives out the moneylenders. That is a favorite uh, uh, passage for activist uh, theologians to uh, uh, misinterpret, miscontextualize, uh, uh, display horrible hermeneutics on. But again, that's because they see Jesus. They don't see him as deity. They don't see him as God. They don't see his word as authoritative. They just see Jesus as a good model model to follow. And if we follow these practices, if we follow the Sermon on the Mount, then we can in, uh, integrate and incorporate heaven right here on earth. And and for someone who I who, who believes that, I would ask them, well, why did Jesus have to die? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, Jesus never never would have had to die a sacrificial propitiatory death on the cross if moralism and good works and protesting and fighting and voting, if if all that were the solution to the problems of the world, then Jesus would never have had to die. 
Right. And so, so then, Virgil, you know, what about the people then who would say, OK, well, so so this is great and I get the difference now. But does that mean that then I just don't participate in in government at all? Does that mean that I stop being a pro-life activist or I stop being an, an election integrity activist, for example, like I am? Does it mean that I stop advocating for some of these other issues in the government context? No, I, I think I think having these having these improper categories are incredibly important. Understanding that there's nothing that we're going to do in society that is indeed salvific on the one hand, while on the other hand, recognizing that that we have a responsibility to stand up for that which is right and true and just, and, and, to, and to make proclamations and declarations regarding those things. But the, at the end of the day, we have to bring the gospel into conflict with culture. Um, I, I just uh, returned recently from a, a trip out in, in Tallahassee, Florida, where I had an opportunity to speak to a, 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 at a pregnancy center, a pro-life uh, uh, group out there. Uh, that was an important place and space to be. That was an important uh, a place to bring the gospel into conflict. Those, 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 those women who were involved in, in that, that ministry, if you will, didn't simply stop at the point at which they want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. They didn't simply stop at the point at which they desired to see a baby saved. They didn't stop until they brought the gospel into conflict in that space, recognizing that ultimately what they want to see take place is tra heart transformation in the lady who would think about murdering her child, that, that, that they would repent of their sin and place their full faith in Christ. Yes, the life of the baby is important. More important than even the life of the child is as difficult as it may be for those who aren't, uh, aren't, aren't Christians to wrap their minds around is the eternal life of the mother and of the mm -hmm. child. Absolutely. And that's the fulfillment of the Great Commission, which is to, you know, the church is for the Christian to grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and to feed our understanding of how we live our Christian life, how we practice the things of God and grow in understanding who he is. And then we are equipped to go into the world and teach the gospel to ultimately bring as many people as we can into a saving knowledge of him. So we'll be right back with more. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Continuing the conversation here on Just the Truth with my friends Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, co-hosts of the Just Thinking podcast and authors of the brand new book, Just Thinking About the State. Definitely go and pre-order that. Um, this is going to be such an incredible resource. And gentlemen, we're talking about activist theology and the points of conflict uh, between that worldview orientation versus the true mission of the true church. And so let's uh, switch gears here a little bit because I want to um, also answer the questions about critical race theory. A lot of people are very interested in this, um, which I would actually categorize that as, as something that's part of activist theology in the sense that it's fundamentally in conflict with the gospel, with truth, and um, is 
a way that people are trying to uh, bring about racial reconciliation apart from the gospel and recognizing that every human being is made in the image of God and that requires inherent dignity and worth and that means we are all one race. And by the way, I just have to add, you guys did a phenomenal, um, I think it was three hour long podcast on this. So for people who want to do a deep dive into this topic, definitely listen to the Just Thinking podcast. I had you both on for an episode on uh, critical race theory on my podcast, Just the Truth, you can find that. Um, but but let's talk more about critical race theory. And Virgil, uh, where does this come from and why is this uh, in today's day and age such a, uh, a an emphasis on this topic? Right. Well, critical race theory is, is, is kind of un uniquely American uh, in its origin, coming out of the, the, the late 80s, uh, some, some lawyers who kind of went back and, and looked retrospectively at, at, at cases and, and tried to determine where there was disadvantage on the basis of ethnicity and race. And so th this, this critical race theory now is, is utilized in every way, shape and form. It's, it's, it's jumped the barrier, so to speak, from, from, from that which is legal to the area of, of, of that which is social, to economics, to education, you name it. Uh, it is being used uh, to, to leverage power. It is, it is a deconstructive um, uh, worldview. Uh, and, and really what it intends to do is it intends to categorize everyone on the basis of race. It does the opposite of what Martin Luther King actually argued when he said that we would ju be judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. Critical race theory actually says the most important thing <clears throat> about you is your ethnicity. Uh, and, and, and it is through that lens by which they examine the rest of the world. So, so for a quick example, if, if they see a situation where, where there's, where there's a, a black person and a white person and there's an interaction that takes place, the presupposition is not it did something racist take place. It's that they're sure it did. It's just a matter of critically examining what the conditions were that created uh, the, 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 the racial tension, the, the, the issue uh, at hand, so to speak. There's a number of presuppositions to the point you made, uh, Jenna, we, we did three hours, three and a half hours uh, mm -hmm. in, a, in a particular podcast to kind of unpack uh, a great degree. We went back we, for those. And I'll say this briefly. I know I, I know I want my, my buddy to jump in here for those who argue, though, that 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 we, we don't interact with with the or with the origins of, of the scholars and scholarship. Um, they're missing what we did in a three and a half hour podcast, interacting specifically uh, with the work uh, and writings of all of those who founded uh, critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, because I'm sure that uh, the critics are not actually going and spending three and a half hours listening to that. They love to just say, mm -hmm. oh, you're not addressing this topic or, you know, you've never said anything on this topic. I mean, I've even been accused on this show of never addressing election integrity, period. And I'm like, uh, clearly you don't watch the show because that's a pretty right. uh, important topic, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, so Daryl, it seems like critical race theory uh, is 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 something that that actually stems from more of a standpoint epistemology kind of uh, lens and again going back to this whole thing of my truth versus your truth versus what is God's truth, because if my truth is my identity is that I'm a white blonde female versus your truth that, uh, you know, you are a, a black man or, or woman, if you happen to profess that, you know, whatever, it seems then that the critical race theory is all about just self-proclaimed identity rather than rooted in fundamental, uh, completely objective truth. 
Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Jenna. I like to look at critical race theory up against what the scriptures tell us in these terms. So scripture clearly tell us, tells us that we have a, our, our identity is vertical. That is that our identity reflects the image of God. Okay, so by vertical, I mean God. So we, we I, in, in scripture, I see my identity first and foremost in a vertical context with regard to my reflecting the image of God in my personhood. And by personhood, I mean every internal, external attribute or characteristic that I possess. Uh, and I possess those characteristics by God's sovereign providence. So that's what I mean by vertical. But what critical race theory does, it deconstructs vertical and totally disregards that and makes us a horizontal, mm -hmm. makes my identity horizontal, whereby I must look at myself now and, and who I am in my personhood in contrast and comparison to you, uh, another person, and, and the differences that we have uh, between us. And then critical race theory goes on to interject presuppositions, uh, not only though on the uh, superficial differences, but again, uh, critical race theory looks into your heart and mind, Jenna, and then uh, uh, presupposes that you think a certain way about me based on those differences. Okay. So as your listeners or your viewers are watching this, one thing they must understand about critical race theory is that the word critical does not mean analytical. In critical race theory, there are intrinsic presuppositions built into that worldview, built into that ideology. And then they, out, out, out of those presuppositions, they, they, they establish and make truth claims based on those presuppositions and they don't open themselves up, critical race theorists don't open themselves up to criticism, to objective analysis of those truth, truth claims. And that's how critical race theorists get away with propagating the lies and the heresies that they promote. Mm. And that's such a good point that whenever we're analyzing any particular philosophy and theory, you have to take into account and identify the presuppositions because most yes. people will start with the conclusion, like right. I am pro-life. Well, there mm -hmm. are implicit presuppositions with that worldview and those have to be identified and then examined. And you're right, critical there means that we need to critique. We need to have discernment mm -hmm. on those things and not just accept them because they're presuppositions, but say, does that conform with the truth of reality, mm -hmm. uh, the truth mm -hmm. of what we understand from uh, the Christian worldview perspective if we're talking about the context of what pastors are teaching in the church? And so, mm -hmm. um, so uh, Virgil, as, as we're going through this, and we only have about a minute left in this segment, um, you, this type of theory now, uh, it seems like for pastors who just don't want to be racist, they don't want to have that as a presupposition aren't looking at those issues and they aren't critically examining this. They're just saying, hey, I, I don't want the conflict. And so they're refusing to examine it. Yeah, that, that's and, and the, the reality is we, we've got to have pastors willing to be biblical. Uh, we, we can't have pastors who are bowing the knee uh, to the golden calf of CRT. Uh, this this is a golden calf. This is this is Aaron's golden calf that they're pointing to and saying, uh, for for example, that the SBC is pointing to this and saying that that this sure we 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 understand scripture and, and CRT critical race theory will be subordinate to scripture. Well, mm -hmm. if we truly believe scripture to be sufficient, that thus saith the Lord is enough, we don't need an analytical tool to examine what is going on in culture. We know that, that what happens between two human beings creating the image of God is called sin. Uh, and we address sin from a biblical standpoint. We understand what Christ came to do with regard to sin and we embrace the message of the gospel. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and SBC being the Southern Baptist Convention for those who aren't aware of that. And uh, this is such an important topic. We'll be right back with more. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Just the Truth. And the time always goes by so fast. I wish that I had three and a half air hours with Daryl and Virgil, uh, but you'll just have to go and listen to their podcast. It's such great information, the Just Thinking podcast. Follow them at podcast underscore just on Twitter. Uh, they're also on all social media. And definitely get the book Just Thinking About the State. You can pre-order that right now. And uh, gentlemen, so for this last segment, um, I, I also want to bring in uh, something that you said on the Activist Theology podcast I think it's really important to highlight uh, we're you know we're seeing how the the world is so secular we're getting to the point um, we're probably even beyond the point of a genuinely godless society where people want to excise any form of morality or his truth um, in favor of my truth but we're seeing interestingly and sadly that mentality of replacement of religion into the church when we think of, uh, of saints, symbols, uh, and types of practices that are actually apart from God and they're permeating the church. And I'm thinking specifically back to last summer with the whole George Floyd situation. So uh, Virgil, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, that's a, I think it's a great point that you make. And I, I want to say that Daryl really amplified this point in our in our podcast when when he talked about uh, the fact that that what you're seeing in, in in regard to symbolism in the culture, if, you, if you're a, a person who lives in a primarily urban area in any major city and you walk by and you see the, the symbolism of, of, of big mural paintings of, of George Floyd, uh, the, the 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 iconic imagery of a of a Breonna Taylor of you know you you name it Ahmaud Arbery you name all the people that have that have that, that have been you know named in these these you, you know situations with police where where their lives were, were were taken we mourn the loss of any life taken but to but to put but to but to immortalize them so to speak in this mural like form and for us to begin bowing the knees so to speak in, in an effort to, to to seek justice to have bills that are placed out there named after George Floyd and 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 and, and the like really really just it, it, it diminishes uh, what we need to be thinking about, which is the gospel and Christ and him crucified and the answers for these particular issues. And so uh, we, we talked about that uh, in, in our podcast, what kinds of things we're seeing and, and how, how, how that negatively impacts the next generation as they begin to look at, at, at men like George Floyd. And, and again, I don't want to get into his background and, and, or, or delve into, into aspects of that, but my point in, in bringing that up is simply that what we're seeing is, is, is not helpful. It doesn't point people to the right issue. It doesn't point people to, to the message of the gospel, which is so critically important for us all. 
Yeah, it's, it's just a substitution. And Daryl, I think it's so fascinating that this kind of uh, gr just, gra um, what's the word I'm trying to say? <laughs> gravitating toward, gravitating toward uh, these types of symbols and these types of substitutes really point out what the Bible clearly says, that we hunger and thirst for God. And so we are trying our best to replace God and truth with absolutely anything else. And I think that these types of movements just show very clearly our need for our Savior. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Jenna. You know, what's sad about these situations and with respect to how the church is responding to situations like the George Floyd, the Breonna Taylor, and uh, other incidents like that is that it's, it's sadly, it's demonstrating and ignorance and a level of illiteracy within the church about what the gospel really is. Yeah. The gospel is not moralism. I think we have yes. uh, a, a plethora of, of, of professing Christians today, and I'm, I'm having to use that qualifier professing more and more often. Uh, churches are replete with professing Christians who think the gospel is moralism. They think the gospel is doing good. They think that the salvation is doing good. They think that salvation is doing this and not doing that. Well, that's not, that's neither the gospel nor salvation. And what's so sad about uh, uh, situations that involve uh, police and, uh, and, and citizens where a life uh, is lost is that no one seems to be asking the question about eternity. I've, ne I've yet to see anyone outside of the podcast episode that we did on uh, George Floyd and the gospel, I've yet to see anyone ask the question, uh, where is George Floyd spending eternity? Now, I don't know that, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question because that is a fundamental question that the gospel points us to when a person loses their life. All of us, from the moment we are conceived in our mother's womb, we begin to live eternally. We will never, you will never cease to exist. Even when your uh, mortal life is, is ended in this world, you will continue to exist in another world. The only question is, the only, and, and the gospel has the only answer to this question, is where will you will spend eternity? This ultimately is the fundamental question of the gospel. It deals not just with this life. It's, it's not just a moralistic temporal paradigm through which we are to see the world. It is an eternal worldview. So that so that we ask ourselves, where does a George Floyd go uh, when he dies? Where is Beyonce Taylor? Was she saved? Did she know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is she spending eternity with it forever now in the presence of Christ? Or is she spending eternity apart from him because she was an unbeliever? I don't know the answer to that question, but those are questions that the gospel fundamentally raises. Yes, and those are the questions that each of us for ourselves have to answer. Who do mm -hmm. we say that Jesus Christ is? And mm -hmm. that is the mm -hmm. purpose of the church and society is to answer those questions and reflect the truth of the gospel and the identity of the true God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important when we're looking at uh, the laws that we enact in society, when we're looking at the wonderful American experiment that our government is obligated to preserve and protect our fundamental God-given right to do exactly what we're doing mm -hmm. right now, which is speaking together about truth so that people can decide for themselves who do we say that Jesus is? So, gentlemen, I wish I had more time with you, but everyone should listen to the Just Thinking podcast. Go and spend a couple of very well, well-deserved hours listening to these guys. Thank you so much. Uh, and now to Just the Word.
2 Timothy 3, 14 through 16 says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the purpose and the design of the church in society. If you are a pastor watching, please, please fulfill your duty to Christ alone first and recognize he is the head of the church. That's all that matters. We'll continue on this program to teach just the truth. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.